Hey, it's Empire's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. A lot of times, food-related celebrities get to where they are by being an ambassador, whether it be for a dish or ingredient or region of cuisine, whatever. Because so often food has all this history behind it that you could spend an entire lifetime teaching people. Today, we've got two writers on opposite ends of that career. In a bit, we'll hear from someone who got famous on TikTok for explaining what goes into chai. But first, Raghavan Iyer was known for making Indian food accessible to Americans. His last book was called On the Curry Trail from 2023, about the history and beauty of curry. And it was his last book because he died shortly after for reasons you'll hear about in a bit. Because he talked to NPR's Ari Shapiro about the book, about his life in food, and about learning to cook and eat and live again after coming to terms with his mortality. That's ahead. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, treachery, and survival at the edge of the world by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. There are certain people who can take credit for helping Americans get to know a particular cuisine. For French food, Julia Child. Italian, Marcella Hazan. Well, for many years, working from his home in Minnesota, Raghavan Iyer has been one of the people who played that role for Indian food in the U.S., Here he was on All Things Considered a decade ago. To me, that's the hallmark of Indian cooking, is how you could extract a multitude of flavors by using really one or two ingredients, and you can end up with something that really sings in your mouth. Well, he's just released what he says will be his last book, and we'll explain why in a moment. It's called On the Curry Trail, Chasing the Flavor that Seduced the World. Raghavan Iyer, welcome back to All Things Considered. So good to have you here. Oh, thank you for letting me be with you. This book on the curry trail is about the way that curry has made its way across the world. Was there one moment that you recognized that this is something that exists everywhere in one form or another? Yeah, I think, you know, on on having done the research of the book and um, um, it just blew my mind, the um, really the far-reaching quality of what a colonial empire like the English could do and then adapt it, you know. I mean, as you know, their penchant for flavors had their cooks put together a cornucopia of flavors that uh, they put them into a jar and labeled it as curry powder. And uh, But it really wasn't until the introduction of the Indian um, laborers that were brought in as uh, slaves and as... Um, and indentured servants, eventually, that that's what led uh, sort of the push into the world of recognizing curries and uh, how to use curry powders, because, uh, as you know, we don't use curry powders in India, but we do uh, use it in the world. So Yeah. This book is complicated to talk about, because, Raghav and I, you've written many cookbooks Mm -hmm. and produced many television programs, uh, and you say that this book will be your last. Are you comfortable talking about why? Yeah, yeah. About five years ago, I was diagnosed with um, stage four cancer, uh, colorectal cancer. So make sure your listeners get themselves checked because it's so important. And I, you know, that 
changed completely the way I functioned. I mean, you know, you it's like somebody pulled a rug under you and uh, all of a sudden you're wondering how to deal with something like that. And um, once you figure that out, then you start to figure out how you learn to live again and eat again and cook again. And uh, to me, those are all cathartic in nature. And so if I don't have control on my kitchen, I don't have control on my life. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that food becomes a very essential tool to bring that home. And this experience you've had with sickness and treatment helped launch a new project focused on comfort foods and recovery yes. foods. Can, can you yes. tell us about that? Yeah, I call it revival foods, comfort foods that heal, because um, you look at cultures that inherently have foods that the West has not embraced in terms of its medicinal outreach. Um, I'm looking at any dishes like pho, for instance, from Vietnam. and Vietnamese uh, beef noodle soup, yeah. Uh-huh. And then you look at, you know, rasam, for instance, which is the tamarind brothy dish from southern India. And so all of these, I feel, are such important tools in fighting this um, regiment that we have in a body that's regulated by disease. And uh, so I feel like it is one of those... Um, best things you can armor yourself with. I don't want you to publicly shame a medical professional, but what was the food a doctor <laughs> told you to eat as you were recovering that made you say, are you kidding me? You're a medical expert. <laughs> he came from a good place and he said, uh, <laughs> you know, how about tomato soup? And so it's funny. So when I called the hospital cafeteria, which has got awful, and I ordered tomato soup and I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. So I said, can you tell me if the soup is vegetarian-based? And she goes, hang on, let me take a look at the Campbell's soup can. <laughs> the <guess>. Campbell's soup can. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I'm in it. So. And meanwhile, what was the recovery food that, that you were really craving? Idli's, foods from my childhood, which is uh, it's a steamed uh, fermented rice lentil cakes. And those are comforting, and they put on weight, and... You know, just easy to digest, and I just <laughs> love it. And, <laughs> and it became one of those uh, iconic foods that helped me uh, recover at least 20 of the 30 pounds that I lost. Mm. Do you want to take a moment, or are you all right? Do you want to I'm get a drink right. of water? Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm okay. If we could come back to the book on the Curry Trail for a moment. Mm-hmm. Would you mind reading the dedication for us? Yeah, loosely, I don't have the book in front of me, but I dedicated it to my partner of 41 years, Terry, without whom this book would never have been possible. My life wouldn't have been possible. And he's literally been there by my side, you know, sort of making sure I eat well, I eat right. He's an excellent caregiver. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. Am I correct that you met him on your first day in the United States? Yes. I was 21, and I looked like I was 14, so... <laughs> oh, so sorry. Uh, no, I'm... He, I'm yeah. yeah. He has been um, really a beacon, and so I've been uh, very pleased with how um, how things have turned out. So, uh, And it's almost like, you know, you you know what it's like in a relationship when you turn around and realize that, <clears throat> oh, the partner's still there. He hasn't left, you know, so 
<laughs> which is, uh, I guess that's what they mean by in sickness and in health. So, yeah. Well, this is a question that I've never asked a guest in 20 years of doing interviews, and I hope you don't take it the wrong way, but as someone who has built his life around food mm -hmm. and who sees the end approaching, mm -hmm. have you decided what you want served at your funeral? Yes. Uh, it you is. have. <laughs> What's the menu? Uh, oh, guys, all Bombay street foods. <laughs> foods <laughs> that I grew up with and, uh, and foods of my childhood. Can you tell us a few things that are on the menu you've drawn up? Um, one is uh, a uh, street food that uh, it's comfort food in a way. I always call it a, an adult savory cereal. It's rice puffs and crispy chickpea flour noodles with unripe mango and mm. potatoes and black salt. Um, and I've got um, another one, which is like a, a potato pate with vegetables on a a slice of bread, which is uh, then slathered on with a ton of butter, and you pan fry the bread slices in them, you know. And uh, um, Ari, you know, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can think of no better tribute for you than for people to eat well and think of you thank while they you. do it. Well, thank you so much. Well, Raghav and Iyer, thank you for all you've taught us. Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you. So, thank you again. His latest book is On the Curry Trail, Chasing the Flavor that Seduced the World. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I've seen cross-culture Kev pop up on my TikTok a few times now, and what's interesting about his account is he doesn't do that shticky, be a mean jerk for the views thing that so many food TikTokers do. I mean, he's honest and he doesn't hold back if, you know, a celeb's powdered chai brand sucks, but it doesn't feel needlessly mean, you know? His book is called The Way of Chai, and he talked to here and now's Deepa Fernandez about how making chai from scratch is a little protest against our current culture of immediacy. Let's take a break from the news and have some tea with Cross Culture Kev. He's Kevin Wilson, and he's built up a loyal TikTok and Instagram following, spreading the word about chai. 
Hi chai sippers and goat lickers. Today we're going to make saffron chai. If you are bold, bougie and blessed, this is for you. Today No, we're not talking about the chai drinks you get at Starbucks. For Kevin Wilson, chai, the loose leaf black tea infused with spices and often combined with milk, is something to be tended to with love and attentiveness because it is the South Asian drink of hospitality. He shares recipes, stories of his and his family's lives and the often fraught history of tea production in his new book, The Way of Chai. And Kevin Wilson joins me now to talk about it. Kevin, welcome. Hi, Deepa. It's an honor and a privilege to be and have an interview with NPR. This is a great station that I grew up listening to, so this is great. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kevin, every time I picked up your book to read it, I had to have chai because it just was not right to read without sipping what you were talking about. So thank you for the book. <laughs> and it has 16 really delicious chai recipes. Each recipe is accompanied by what you call a brief meditation on how a certain facet of chai offers a window into a life that is purposeful, hopeful, and beautiful. Can mm. you talk about why it was important to tell a story of chai this way? You know, chai for me is a beverage that's at the nexus of family, uh, South Asian culture, and even spirituality. And when I wrote the book, you know, it was during the pandemic, I, I realized that there was a need for a meaningful expression of care. And so through my duets on TikTok, uh, people recognized that I was a voice where they can go to to get some calm during their day. And so I kind of channeled that energy into writing this book on chai. And, and the more I, I went into chai, I realized that there was just so many junctions in which we can stop and pause and, and reflect on our lives. And so that's why I wrote the book the way that I mm, did. Okay. And in your chapter that talks about Indian masala chai, and there's chais from all over South Asia and, and even Africa, in fact, we learn that adding spices to make tea actually masala chai was an act of protest. And, and of course, masala is a mix of spices. Part of the struggle for independence. I loved learning this. You called it a cup of courage. I love that too. Can you explain? Mm -hmm. You know, before World War I, the tea that was introduced to India was very bitter and it was very astringent and there was no spices added to it. It was not until after World War One, maybe a little under 50 years before independence uh, from the colonial rule, uh, the chaiwalas uh, who make tea at the train stations, they decided to put the spices that they typically use for their curries into the chai. So it's usually a blend of spice that's made with cardamom, cinnamon, peppercorn, and cloves. It was a way for Indians to kind of reclaim tea as their own. And so that's what I mean by talking about chai as a cup of courage, as a cup of perseverance, because the cup basically is a symbol for how the Indian people, but also South Asians and Sri Lanka as well, how they've alchemized their pain into purpose and their misery into meaning. Mm. Your ancestors worked on tea plantations. What do you know about what that job would have been like for them? Right. So my grandfather was a tea plantation worker. And uh, I remember going and visiting him uh, as a kid in Sri Lanka. And so I, I saw the labor of, of these women just picking up tea leaves from the tea plantation workers. I saw uh, how they would raise their kids. I saw life in the tea estates. And so 
um, a massive part of what inspired this book was actually to tell their stories as well. It is quite incredible and and you do really bring us into the tough existence of, of tea plantation workers. You also give us a glimpse into the skill, the art of the chaiwala, who you described, those who make and sell tea you know, at railway stations and, and on the street. They really are artists. And you point out that they have mastered the art of mass chai production. Why is that such an art? When you make chai, you have to really think about so many different things. I mean, you have to think about the temperature of the water. You got to think about the boiling point of the milk. And depending on what type of milk you use, they have different boiling points. You have to think about the viscosity of the milk, which is like the thickness of the milk. You got to think about how the spices and, and the flavor profiles of the different spices that you use. So it's one thing to use that information to make one cup of chai, but it's an entirely different story to make it in batches. So these chai wallas have really mastered the art of uh, making sure that even though they make this chai in batches, that each cup still captures the essence of all those notes. And so, yeah, it is really an art. It is definitely a, a ritual, a practice that's easy to get into, but it's really hard to master. And that's why I think like people like my grandmother would be some of the best uh, chai makers out there because of just how much love and effort and care they've put into their craft. And, and as I was reading your book, I could hear the chaiwalas singing chai in my, in my head as they come through selling it. You know, one of, I'm sure you've experienced this and, and many people who've traveled on trains in India will know that after you drink your cup of chai that has been sold to you while you ride the trains, it's usually in this earthenware little clay cup and you drink it and then you toss it out the window into the passing fields mm-hmm. and it just breaks down and goes back to the earth, the kind of ultimate recyclable mug. Some people think, and I know all my family says it, chai tastes better out of that recyclable (laughs) clay cup. Do you agree, Kevin? You know, I I think so too. And I don't know if that's because of uh, maybe the flavor profile of the mud or the clay. But I think there's something about just like our connection to the earth. There's something about just our connection to the earthiness of what what chai is that elevates that experience of of chai drinking. You know, it takes it from the level of just a purely consumptive experience to something more spiritual, more grounded. So I want to ask you, because you do have lots of chai recipes in the book. One of the things for me that differentiates the chai that I drink and have drunk for a while to that of what Starbucks sells and maybe what, you know, most people who haven't drunk a South Asian chai would know is that I feel like that the secret ingredient is the peppercorn because Mm. it gives this little fieriness in the back of your throat after you have kind of swallowed the sip of tea that I never get from a Starbucks chai. (laughs) Yeah, so peppercorn does that. And also the ginger also does that as well. The spice profile of the ginger is felt slightly differently in your palate than the peppercorn. So yeah, these definitely adds to just the complexity of what chai is. So what's your favorite chai recipe, Kevin? Mm. I have a signature chai recipe in the the book. That's my go-to when I have a little bit more time. Because that particular chai recipe uses uh, a couple of different types of milks. So it's just not just a whole milk, but I also use evaporated milk and also condensed milk as well. Because mm. that really elevates the, the thickness and the viscosity of the chai, which adds to the, the full mouth feel that you need in a, in a good cup of chai. So my signature chai recipe is my current favorite. And my close second is actually a Malaysian chai. They call it Te Tarik 
which is very simple. They use Ceylon black tea, evaporated milk, and condensed milk. And no spices. It's just those, those mm. are three main ingredients, and it's just fantastic. Well, my last question to you. We now know that you can also buy chai tea bags. You don't have to actually make it from scratch. Make the case for going that extra mile in our busy lives of actually mm-hmm. stopping to make it from scratch. We live in a culture where inconvenience of any sort is demonized. Making chai from scratch is actually kind of a protest against that culture of now and instant, like right now I need this. And it kind of forces us to be in the moment and forces us to kind of be present to the process. We need that. We need moments like that throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our months to remind ourselves that that we are not human doings. No, we are human beings. We can't love fully when we are rushing, when we are rushing to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so I think we need a little bit of love right now. And this world needs us to be a little bit more conscientious about ourselves and about the present moment. And so just the practice of doing that whole thing from scratch, at the very least, can remind us that the present moment is not a moment to be commodified, but it's a a moment to be present and a moment to really relish and realize that we are fully alive. Kevin Wilson. His new book is called The Way of Chai. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deepa. I really appreciate this conversation. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant.